and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for this special session, Rescue and Renewal Women's Conference. In these lessons, we'll hear from several different ladies on several different topics in regards to rescue and renewal. We hope that you enjoy these lessons as they will be very applicable to each of your lives as women. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy it. To fit in like one last little coffee date with somebody, and so four, four or five different people who men who had been in Nathaniel's uh, discipleship group dropped in at different times during that last week just to tell him like what a difference he'd made in their lives. So we were supposed to leave January fourth or fifth, and I remember our realtor, who was a friend of ours who attended our church. She came over and she said, "You got to get out of here." She's like, "This is this is killing you. It's tearing you up." And it was. So she promised to get rid of our giant piano for us, make sure our stuff got loaded up into our moving van, and just she told us to get on the road. And so we did. And our last walk through through that house that had so many memories, birthday parties and Christmas mornings, first steps and first words and quiet nights waking up with newborns, memories so good that it was just painful to relive them. We stopped in town, we held the hand of a, a dear older gentleman in a nursing home for the last time, one last dinner with our friends, and I just cried buckets of tears through it all. And we loaded our kids in our minivan, and we drove west, and just finally, it was over. And we drove 24 hours without stopping. Um, when we finally picked a place to rest for a couple of days, we were, in all places, Oklahoma. And so Oklahoma has a special place in my heart because it was a place where I came, came to rest. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. That's what Jesus said. Come. Wrong button. There we go. Our souls were weary. They were tired. We were physically and emotionally depleted. Have you been there? Have you been soul-weary like that? My story isn't unique. Most of you have been there too. Maybe you're there now. Um, it might be an intense college semester, more extracurriculars than you have time for, but you're not very good at saying no. If you're a mom here with young children, every day sometimes can feel like it requires more physically of you than you have to offer. Um, even just sitting in this room when I was a, a mom of... Babies felt like a luxury sitting for an hour. Um, you might work a really stressful job in a school or a hospital or a grocery store or you're running your own business and you might deal with difficult situations and difficult people every day. You might be retired, struggling with the state of the world and how it's changing. And then there's COVID, of course, who's transformed the things in life that we thought we could count on, like school, the post office, and even church. So we're weary. And Jesus says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. So that's what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 6 after they had just come back from an extraordinary ministry experience. And he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits he commanded them to take nothing in the, for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. 
Also he said to them, in whatever place you enter the house, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake the dust off your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. And he healed them. So these men had been sent out with no food and no money and no travel plans and not even an extra set of clothes. Nothing. Just one friend. And so they go. And Jesus gives them authority and he sends them out. Now, can you imagine the stress of that? I just listened to a presentation from a college girl who's raising money to become a missionary. And I think she had to raise $80,000 and it took her a year to do it. And so these disciples, they were, they were real guys. They were people just like us who surely felt vulnerable without supplies or a plan and a pretty uncomfortable message. They were supposed to tell people to repent. You're doing it wrong. Better shape up. And that's a tough message for anybody to, to say. So we're not told how successful we were. they were. We know that they cast out many demons and they healed people that were sick but probably Jesus would not have warned them how to respond in times of rejection unless it was likely that they would be rejected. So the disciples go out, they do incredible things, and they come back to report to Jesus about everything that had happened. It was probably a lot of miracles and a lot of lives changed and maybe some pushback and some persecution. They'd gone through a ministry symphony, so highs and lows. There's a popular preacher that's credited with saying why he didn't take Mondays as his day off. He said, because no one should feel that bad on their day off. Um, even in times, and maybe should I say especially in times when God is really moving or working, there's a period of recovery. My husband and I joke that he can't even choose pizza toppings on Sunday afternoons because he's pretty wiped out. So Jesus knows that they need rest. There were so many people surrounding them, asking things of them that the Bible tells us they couldn't even stop to eat. So rather than bask in the popularity or stay in the limelight, Jesus withdraws with them. Verse 30 picks up, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. If you can imagine that scene, there's people everywhere, people asking them questions, trying to touch them, bringing their sick, their relatives, there were just needs everywhere. And we're women, we know what that's like to have needs everywhere. So we know that when they get to the other side, there's crowds of people there. So we have to conclude that when Jesus offered them rest, it was going to be during this time across the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus leads them by boat, and they head off into the wilderness. Take a break. Inhale the fresh air. Feel the wind on your face. Take a deep breath. Let your souls rest. So if you would indulge me, take a minute and just close your eyes. Imagine being on the boat with Jesus in the Sea of Galilee. The morning sunshine is gentle. The wind is blowing. You're with your closest friends. 
You've completed your journey and your heart is full of excitement and purpose. Maybe you're rowing, maybe you're sailing, maybe you're steering, but you're not in a hurry. You're in the presence of Jesus who loves you. He looks at you, studies your face. His eyes are bright and alive and he smiles at you, a smile full of joy and pleasure. Take a minute and imagine that scene. Ladies, this is the heart of God for you. You can open your eyes. Jesus is saying to you, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus knows that you need this, and he wants to offer it to you, just like he offered it to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. So I want to spend some time tonight looking at rest. Physical rest, emotional rest, mental rest, soul rest. So how many of you in this room need rest tonight? How many felt stressed this week? Anybody feel stressed? So most of us are stressed, turns out. In 2020, 60% of Americans claimed that they were feeling stress on a daily basis. 75% experienced moderate to high stress in the past month. Do you want to know the most stressed out age group? 18 to 33-year-olds, so young women. Uh, excuse me, 13% of children will develop an anxiety disorder due to stress. So what are we stressed about? A lot of the same things we've always been stressed about. 72% are stressed about money. 94% of Americans are stressed at work. And this is an interesting one. 31% of people are stressed due to daily texting. I guess that stresses people out. The like, stress of having to respond to people's texts all day long. 83% <laughs> of us are worried about the fate of the nation. And half of young people, ages 18 to 24, experience high levels of stress from comparing themselves to others. 45% of college students seek out counseling to manage stress, mostly related to anxiety and depression. So do you need restoration? Do you need rest? I think we can all agree that the, we are in need of rest that only Jesus can give. So you might be saying, okay, Summer, that's true, but how does Jesus give me rest? I've been a Christian a long time, and I still feel stressed and overwhelmed. So first of all, I'm going to ask you a question. And the, this is the very first word. These are the very first words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of John. What do you want? Do you want to be rescued? Because it means that you'll have to give some things up. So after Hurricane Katrina... A New Orleans police officer said that there were 10,000 people that remained in the city, and they were hidden inside flooded, flooded residences, apartments, and housing projects, surviving on forage scraps, or forage scraps and food drops by the military. So the article said, searchers have been frustrated by hundreds of holdouts who have refused to leave their homes, fearing possessions will be pillaged, pets will die, and their way of life will be erased. The deputy New Orleans police chief said, there are, to our surprise, thousands of people still in the city that we're trying to identify and locate. We're trying to convince them that there's nothing for them here. No food, no jobs, nothing to let them live the way that they're used to. So we have to want God's rescue. We have to want it more than we want to be in control. 
Let me say that again. We have to want God's rescue more than we want to be in control. In control of our finances, in control of our relationships, in control of what people think of us. Because all that control just makes us tired and sick. And Jesus wants to offer you more tonight. So when someone gets rescued in the movies, what's the first thing that the rescuer says? They come up to them and they're like, it's okay, you're safe, right? You're safe now. So being rescued means being safe. So we're going to talk about that tonight. It's one thing to say, I want to be rescued, but it's another thing to really know what that means. And so I believe that God has given us so many tools, and I'm just going to focus on four really practical areas that have helped me in, personally in my life, and these are just simple boots on the ground, stuff that you can actually do. And then after that, I'm going to tell you a story about God's rescue for me. Okay, so the first part of our rescue, the rescue for you, is the S, surrender. So if I had only one letter, if you only hear one thing tonight, it would be the S. Um, I use this every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Most of my journaling in the morning is just a daily exercise in surrender. So it's letting God know and reminding myself that I'm his. He's my strength. He's my joy. I invite him into the places in my heart that are insecure or worried or hurt. I give it all to him. I literally say, and I got this line from one of my favorite authors, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And then I the people that are weighing heavily on my heart, I list them by name. Jesus, I give you my mom and her health. I give you the deadline that's coming up. I give you the misunderstanding with my coworker that's making me feel anxious. I give you my doctor appointment tomorrow. So of course I pray for these things too, but if it's heavy on your heart, I take the extra step to surrender it to God. Take it out of my hands and put it into his. This is his rescue for you. I do this in the morning, and then if I'm worried about something later on and I get a spare minute, I'll do it again. So our verse that I have up there is 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. And you're not bothering God. Some people I talk to feel like they shouldn't like bother God with the little things, like he's got more important things to worry about. So why do we cast our cares upon God? Because he cares. He cares for us. He knows that they're a burden for you but they're not a burden for him. So I love the fishing imagery here. I live in kind of a fishing community. So how many of you have gone fishing? Okay. So how do you cast? All right, so you got your little, do you just like drop it in the water, like right next to where you are? Or maybe like a little like, a little fling like five feet away? No, like when you're gonna cast a line, like you like really like chuck it away from you. Like you, you get it far away from you. And that's the idea here. Like we cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. So surrender takes a little bit of practice, especially if you're used to managing life on your own. But I find that it really orients me. This last year, my two older boys and I, we got licensed as ham radio operators Um, So we took this little eight-week class, and we had to take a test, and we had to learn about, like, electricity and megahertz of power and satellites and all of that stuff. And it was was fascinating. Um, And every Wednesday night, they tune in to our our area repeater, and they set the dial at just the right station. And if they do, then they can talk with everyone else in our area. But if you're off by even, like, a point, it'll be fuzzy at best, or you might not even connect. 
And I find that surrender is like that. It's like starting your day and saying, okay, God, what station are you on? Okay, I'll fix mine there too. Now I can hear you clearly and we can communicate. So our next one is A, arrest. So arrest means to stop. So when a cop catches a burglar, he arrests him, right? He stops him because that's his job. And for us, we have a job to do too. We need to arrest our damaging thoughts. And I cannot stress this enough. Your thoughts are the control center of your life. You must keep them under control. You cannot allow fearful or destructive thoughts to overwhelm you. You have to take them captive and replace them with the truth of God's word. Our verses from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And believe me, this is a rescue for you, especially if you struggle with anxiety. You get to choose the thoughts you allow. You must take every thought captive. Let's say you have a fearful thought that comes to mind. If you are, let's say, afraid of losing your husband, you might take that thought to Jesus and give it to him, and then you ask for strength to make your thoughts obedient to Christ. So does Jesus want you to fear? No. So the next time that thought comes up, you say, nope, we're not going there. You have no place in my mind. Memorize some Bible verses to keep on your windowsill or on your keychain, and you arrest that thought and you replace it with God's truth. And sometimes that's enough. Um, A specific kind of decision that you're not gonna engage in fearful or destructive thinking. But sometimes Satan is really tricky and that thought will just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And so here's what you do. So at this point, you need to make up your mind to have a very specific redirect whenever that thought comes to mind. So maybe you, you pray for the missionaries that you support, whose picture you have up on your fridge. Um, or maybe you pray for the elders of your church, but decide ahead of time and you stick with it. And you might have days or weeks or months when those missionaries get hours of prayer. But that's a great thing, and praise the Lord for that. I've done this with some really specific fears and anxieties, and it has really worked. It took a while, but eventually I stopped struggling with those thoughts. Matthew 6, 27 says, and who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Remember how Jesus stopped Peter in his tracks when he started talking about deterring Jesus from his mission on the cross? Get behind me, Satan. That's what he said. He arrested that train of thought immediately. So for many of you, these might be familiar verses, but ladies, if you truly believe them and live according to these truths, it will change your life. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you didn't worry about anything? If you gave all your fears and concerns to Jesus every morning and didn't pick them back up throughout the day. Throughout COVID, I've I've uh, found a lot of comfort in Psalm 139. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God knows it all. None of this is a surprise to him. And yet everything you're going through now or will go through, he tells us to give it all to him. Our next letter is F for friends. So yes, God intends friends to be a rescue for you. So I'm not talking about Facebook friends. Those don't count. And I'm sorry, but in this case, your husband doesn't count either. We'll talk about him tomorrow. 
I'm talking about women that you talk to regularly, that you enjoy being with, people that encourage you, that you can be honest with. Now, this might be preaching to the choir a little bit here since you're all here at this retreat, but certainly I'm sure there's lonely people in this room. Or maybe you have friends, but you let too much time pass before you catch up. So who were the disciples with on the Sea of Galilee throughout their time of ministry? They were with Jesus, and they were with friends. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You don't need a lot of friends. One good one, maybe two, three. The Bible says a lot about friendship. Jesus' ministry was intricately tied to friendship. Twelve good friends, an inner circle of three, and maybe a best friend in John. Now, he loved lots of people. He interacted with thousands of people, but he shared the most valuable things with those he really loved. Social media, I think, has made a lot of this really confusing because there's people, or strangers even, that you might follow, and they might share all kinds of personal thoughts and information, and so you feel this kind of connection with people that you've never actually met. And that's not wrong necessarily, but it's not real friendship. It's far more valuable to spend 15 minutes with one person sharing what's real in your life than an hour scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or posting something online. Some of us have really dear friends that, you, that we keep in touch with over long distance, and I have a lot of those because I've moved around a lot. And these are women that I love and I trust with my whole heart, and we can catch up like no time has passed. But you also need a person just to sit across the table with and have a cup of coffee. We need people. There's a woman in my church that's in her 70s, and she's divorced, and there was a sermon at church that really encouraged her about reaching out and building community. And so she started once or twice a month to invite people over to dinner. So a couple of couples or a family, just to build community and get to know people. And I so admire that. You don't have to be lonely. So make time once a week to spend refreshing time with a friend. And if you don't have close friends, reach out. Invite a couple of women out to lunch or host a little dinner party. Schedule a play date with kids or dogs or <laughs> friends are God's rescue for you. Psalm 20, I was laughing at a play date for dogs. That just made me laugh. But people do it, and they're really into their dogs. So. Psalm 27.9 says, A sweet friendship refreshes the soul. And that's what we have up on our screen. A sweet friendship refreshes the soul. That's from the message, and I think that's true. All right, so our last slide is E, and it is for exercise. And yes, God has designed exercise for your rescue, and I really mean this. So I know we're talking about rest tonight, and then I go up and bring up something annoying like exercise. So I'm sorry about that, but I really do believe that exercise brings you not only physical health, which results in peace, but also, and most importantly, emotional and mental restoration. Proverbs 31:17 says, she sets about her work vigorously and her arms are strong for her tasks. So we're not gonna find that much in the Bible about the value of exercise, although 1 Timothy does say that physical training is, is of some value, though not as valuable as spiritual training. Um, 
And if you are a farmer and you go out and you plow your fields and you have a very outside life, then I will give you a pass on this. But that was most of the world when, when the Bible was written. People were outside and they worked hard and they walked everywhere and that was life. And that's good for us. So you know that exercise makes you physically healthy, right? Reduced risk of illness and disease. But it can also make you happier, can give you more energy, make you, help you sleep. Clinical studies find that aerobic exercise is as effective as um, antidepressants in reducing symptoms of depression. So this isn't science behind this, this is God. God created you and he created your body to be healthy and strong. So exercise is a gift from God for you. It makes you feel good. If you feel bad or sluggish or depressed or overly emotional, God has provided something to help you. And it's really simple. And this is a fairly new thing for me. I've had kind of a wishy-washy relationship with exercise for most of my life. I've, if it's nice out, I'll go. If it's not, I won't. But the last few years, I have just come to the point in my life where I have seen the value it's good to stay in shape, but mostly I do it for just mental, the mental health benefits. I feel better when I'm outside and when I'm exercising, and it's a good way to take care of myself and to get a little time alone, to have a time to pray or to listen to fun music or a podcast, and it's actually a barometer for me of my emotional, mental, and even spiritual health. If I'm making time for exercise in my life, to me, that's a sign that life is functioning. When I'm ignoring it, there's a pretty good chance I'm ignoring other things too. Think about Jesus's time of restoration with his disciples. So they weren't laying around doing nothing and rest doesn't always equal inactivity. They were on a boat, they were out in water, they were in nature, they were in fresh air, they were rowing, which takes effort. And yet Jesus was bringing restoration through that. So that's safe, surrender, arrest, friends, and exercise. And I wish that I could tell you that I had, I've always lived this way, but I had to learn the hard way. Um, so several years ago, I had a pretty ex severe experience with anxiety, and it started in early winter. I read a health book and decided to follow a pretty extreme eating plan, not for weight loss, but just for general health. And God gave me little nudges along the way that maybe this wasn't for me, but I ignored them. I remember my husband sitting across the table from me and he said, Summer, you've always been pretty healthy. It would be a shame to mess anything up. But I charged ahead <laughs> with my bad decision. And a few weeks into it, I just started to feel a little bit strange, a little bit off, not like myself, like I was kind of in a fog. And the longer the fog lasted, the more consumed I became in trying to figure out why. I felt like I couldn't think, and it scared me. And Dr. Google only made things worse, much worse. He's a terrible doctor. I don't recommend Dr. Google. I started waking up every morning with an unsettled feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I've always been pretty healthy mentally, and this just wasn't me. So I started off tonight by telling you about a really hard move from California back east. My husband had accepted a position in, in Pennsylvania managing a satellite campus and it became pretty clear pretty quickly that he was working outside of his gifting and he needed to be back in the pulpit. But we felt really responsible for our dear little church and he'd started a rowing team for underprivileged kids. 
that was just getting off the ground. He was in the middle of a doctoral program, and on all accounts, it just wasn't the right time for, a, for another move. We weren't looking, we weren't planning on going anywhere for quite a while. But he got a call in January from a retiring pastor in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, right on the coast, asking him if he'd consider interviewing for the lead pastor position. And Nathaniel called me up, and the first thing he says was, Summer, I found our next church. And I just about blew a gasket. The thought of going through that move all over again just was incomprehensible. The last one just about killed me. And so there was this little settled place in my soul that needed peace and security, and it was just rocked big time. And life in general, aside from that, was just pretty overwhelming. I felt like I'd been cooped up in the house. I wasn't exercising. I was helping a lot with paperwork and marketing for the rowing team. I was heavily invested in our church as a volunteer. I was a children's ministry volunteer, and we bust kids in from a poor part of town, and there was a lot of kids with behavioral problems, so which meant every volunteer experience was really stressful. I was the women's director for our campus, and I'd run two mentorship programs at my house in the last year, and I'd co-written a Bible study. And there were a couple women that reached out to me on a pretty regular basis who were draining for me emotionally. So even just saying this out loud, it's really no wonder that I about had a nervous breakdown. And that's what it was. It might have been burnout. It might have been excessive anxiety. But my life came to a screeching halt. So here's how it happened. So at the end of February, Nathaniel and I had gone to a marriage conference for a couple of days. And at the end of the weekend, we were sitting down with some friends that we'd known for a long time, and we were kind of explaining what was going on in life. And our friend Chris said, guys, you need to slow down. And I started to cry. And I cried for most of our five-hour drive home. And we had company that weekend, and that was like my last exertion before the end. <laughs> and I tried to go to a women's luncheon the next week, and I was there for 15 minutes, and I couldn't handle it. The anxiety just overwhelmed me, and I had to go find Nathaniel and have him drive me home. So I feel like I cried for weeks, but I couldn't even exactly tell you why. I felt this deep well of despair. The stomach queasiness never really left me. The brain fog, probably in this part caused by all my anxiety, was still there, making me feel weird. And I went to the doctor. I had blood work done. Everything was normal. But I had no appetite. I had no energy. I was tired. I couldn't even read books or watch TV. The emotional stress of entering into someone else's story, even in a book, I just couldn't handle it. I didn't go anywhere or even talk really to family or friends much except to ask for prayer. On the weekends, we would drive across the state and stay with Nathaniel's sister and her family out on their dairy farm because I could barely cook dinner for my children. Just caring for them took everything I had. And even that was so exhausting that when Nathaniel could be home, I would spend time in my room, in my rocking chair, in silence, or reading my Bible. I went for a walk or a run every day, but that was about it. And I wondered if I would ever feel like myself again. And most of my struggle was with anxiety, not panic attacks, just this ever-present feeling of nervousness and unrest. But there were days that depression would sweep over me, and I'd never really experienced depression before. There's quite a bit of it in my family, so I've had experience being around it, but I'd never felt that total absence of joy like I did in those dark days. 
I'm a person that loves making plans. I love talking about vacation or the future or finishing a project, but I just couldn't see beyond my circumstances. I knew that I used to know what optimism felt like, but I just couldn't grasp it. It was the hardest season of life I have ever experienced. But you know what? As hard as it was, if I could go back, I wouldn't trade it. Because God rescued me. Rescued me. Jesus became the most real person to me. More real than my husband. More real than my children or even more real than myself. I I knew in my brain fogginess that Jesus was my only hope. I became aware of a spiritual desperation that I'd never experienced before. And it wasn't a a desperation to be all better necessarily. It was a desire to be with Jesus, to wait on him, to hear his voice, to be led by him. In those early weeks and months of my struggles, I realized how closed my heart had been to Jesus. Not that I didn't know him. I did. I believed in Jesus for eternal life, and I had been a Christian for 30 years I read my Bible regularly. Of course, I went to church. You have to as a pastor's wife. I have a master's degree from, biblical, from Dallas Seminary, so I have a lot of the right answers. I just didn't need Jesus until I did. I got to know Jesus. I spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time just crying out to God inviting him into the broken places in me, the places that had been bandaged or ignored or forgotten. It was like a whole soul overhaul. I wanted every part of my being to be open to Jesus so he could heal me. I knew that my healing needed to come from him. I did find a counselor during that time, but it was funny because most of our sessions was me coming to him saying, this is what Jesus is teaching me or revealing in me. It was like all the years of saying, I can handle everything, was revealed. And it was ugly, and it was sin. Because we're not meant to handle everything. To handle all the problems and think that we can bear the weight. It's too heavy. It will crush us, and I was crushed, overburdened. And here's where the sin is in this. I'm not my husband's savior, I'm not my church's savior. I'm not my hurting friend's savior. Obviously, I know that, but when I carry and carry and carry all those burdens, I make myself out to be the savior. I'm not trusting Jesus. I'm not casting my cares on him. It felt better to be in control than to give it to God. Because when you worry, at least you feel like you're doing something, right? Then your life falls apart and you realize that you were never in control in the first place. So don't let it get there. Jesus is inviting you tonight to that quiet place. He wants to bring you healing and rest and peace to your heart. You might have known Jesus for 50 years, but you're missing that closeness. Or maybe you're not sure if you've ever made the decision to believe in Jesus alone for eternal life. Salvation isn't about what we bring to the table or the good, the good behavior or the hard work. It's about accepting what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And it's very simple. Jesus' offer is for life. Life now and life in eternity. 
And all we do is say, yes, Jesus, I want that. I want you. I want the eternal life that you promise. And if that's you tonight, or if you're seeking restoration for a weary heart, I would invite you to pray with me as we close. Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.